Hello, family, and welcome to Normal with Autism, the podcast where we are walking with faith on this side of the spectrum, and we invite you to the kitchen table to experience the joy in the journey. I'm Tara. And tonight, I have a special guest because our friend Sarah is out because of Matt's abs, but she will be back next time. And I'm going to go ahead and get right into it so I can introduce our special guest. And it's Sean. Hi, Sean. Hey, Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. We're in California on vacation. It's just glorious, right? (laughs) I... I am so super jealous that you are still currently in sunshine. I mean, it wasn't a bad day here in Ohio. Well, it's like really disorienting because it's 70 degrees out here. But mm-hmm. I still want to wear a hoodie because it's like, oh, it's cold, but it's not. And it's like really <laughs> confusing. And so, yeah, it's 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 a deal. Your, <laughs> your body is just kind of all over the place at this point, huh? <laughs> Pretty much. I mean... <laughs> The palm trees next to the pine trees is a bit confusing because where I'm from, you don't have palm trees. That's right. That's right. Uh, oh, you're you're making me have memories of when Sarah and I went to LA and I got to see uh, all those gorgeous palm trees and it was kind of uh, it was kind of surreal in the moment. So now you're making me want to go back. Yeah. Hopefully. Was it a good time? Oh, man. It was the best. It was the best. Hopefully we will. We had the best tacos. We got to see some of the best, coolest things. We went to a comedy show. So hopefully we will get to go back sometime soon. I really will. uh, L.A. is one of my favorite places right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're staying in Monterey. And so we spent the day in San Fran today and. Um, we're just kind of hauling on the highway down PCH with the waves and the wind and the sunshine. And so, well, you keep, you keep bringing first to our podcast. (laughs) I think you were one of the first, um, technically actually autistic people we talked to. And now, (laughs) now you're the first driving in a car recording the podcast. We haven't, I haven't had that experience yet. So you keep you keep breaking breaking uh, barriers, breaking ceilings, glass ceilings. I guess well, I don't. That's not you gotta right. Break the glass ceilings. There's, <laughs> there's lots of glass to break. Lots so. of lots of barriers to break. Yeah. <laughs> before, that's, that's what life's all about. <laughs> before we get into it tonight, I do um, just want to check in with our lovely listeners, and if they would come check us out on Facebook and Instagram, and then at our website, Normal with Autism. We do see your emails and we want to hear from you and you can um, drop us a line. Tell us how you're doing. And now let's get back to Sean. Sean, you're here tonight uh, to talk about some special things. Can you first reintroduce yourself to folks who might be newer to us? So my name is Sean. I'm a behavioral health clinician. I work for North Lakes Community Clinic. Um, I have a website called seanenderbitson.com, and I through it, I do trainings. Um, some that I'm going to talk about tonight, um, I live with autism. That's the other piece of it that's really important, and I treat about a third of people with autism. And so specifically, the trainings we're going to talk about tonight 
um, are going to be offered. One Surpesi. It's a it's a autism symposium for 2021, um, and I'm going to be presenting there on motivational interviewing, and it'll be with speakers like Stephen Porges and Temple Grandin, uh, and so it's it's really cool because it's all compiled into this credential. Um, if you want to be an autism clinical specialist um, credential through their through Pessy's sister company, Evergreen. And then the other thing I'm doing in May is um, I'm actually doing a course on deliberate practice with autism and it's called Treating Autism and Comorbid Psychiatric Conditions with my colleague, Kayleen McNichol. We're going to be doing it through the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire to build confidence in uh, clinicians and educators and social workers mm-hmm. and nurses alike. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, very, these are the two things. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, very nice. And um, so you said, and I, I want to make sure I honor your words, you said person living with autism, correct? Yep. Okay. Yep. And um, that is particularly important. I want people to really um, understand and walk away with that. Not only are you a person living with autism, you're also a therapist. You're a clinical, is that clinical social worker? Did I get that right? Yep. You got it spot on. And so what's going on, and just to kind of catch people up who may not be therapists who might be listening, but you said PESI, which is P-E-S-I. They are a nonprofit organization where we get a lot of what are called our CEUs or our continuing education units, if you will, to maintain our licensure as helping professionals. Um, so you get to present for PESI. That's a pretty big deal. Do you, <laughs> do you want to talk about that first? Yeah. I mean, it's a bit surreal because it's like one day I get an email and they're like, Hey, we want you to do this. And it's like, what? <laughs> like, we've thrown around some ideas for a while, but um, it was just kind of surreal because it's like, in terms of what's happening in the field of mental health, what I think is really relevant to this discussion is that um, for a long time, there have been very non-person-centered practices uh-huh. with people with autism that sort of use this expert model um, where the clinician knows best or the analyst knows best and the person with autism really doesn't get to have a say. And so what's unique about this conference is it's really the first conference to make a step towards um, with big names like Temple Grandin, Stephen Porges, um, others um, who are all escaping my mind right now. But it really is the first major conference on building a credential in sort of this other direction of how do we be person-centered, let people with autism be experts on their own experience, and at the same time, support them with evidence-based interventions. Yes. Uh, I love, I love, love, love. I mean, you're, I'm a therapist, so you're, you're kind of, I'm geeking out with you over the fact that <laughs> we are, are, are talking about interventions that are geared towards believing the client in their lived experience. Mm-hmm. Right. And, mm-hmm. and not that, the, right. not that the person with the letters after their name is necessarily the expert, but the client with the lived experience is the expert, and we're we're honoring right. that. That that's pretty exciting. 
and I'm, I'm looking at the lineup of people that you're on here with. If it makes you feel any more special, you and Temple Grandin are the only people I recognize <laughs> on the lineup. So, I mean, uh, that's a pretty big deal. <laughs> yeah. Porges, Porges created this thing called the polyvagal nerve theory, mm-hmm. uh, which is huge in this fight flight response system mm-hmm. um, in the body. So basically when your body gets aroused, like it does one of three things, it goes into fight. And so it'll try to get itself ready to fight because that's how we survived millions of years. It'll try to run away or um, it'll freeze and it'll just like freeze up. Everything will go numb. And basically the polyvagal nerve is connected to that. I don't exactly know how, but fact that Stephen Porges is there is like for me just like same thing as you like geeking out like I mean that's gonna be something to say it's just my take so you're kind of you're kind of getting to work alongside and present alongside some of your heroes in therapy world that's that's a pretty big deal I know. I'm just, I'm like, how did this happen? And like, I just sort of wake up. I'm like, I really don't think I'm qualified. <laughs> but you know, they, they seem to. So we, we just roll with it. Well, we, we believe here at the podcast, Sarah, and I believe very much that you are absolutely qualified. Um, what do you Aww. think that you're the most excited about in terms of this particular presentation that you're working on, like what's, what's got you really passionate or really excited? Well, the thing I really touched on earlier. So in episode, I think it was 47 where you guys interviewed me about motivational interviewing and autism. Mm -hmm. So I became a member of the motivational interviewing network of treat for trainers this year uh, in 2020 after we did that podcast and so what i'm really excited about is i'm the first mint member to be presenting on the adaptation of mi to populations of autism there are not other people who do this and what the model is really about is putting the client in the expert chair Mm -hmm. okay and mi motivational interviewing right yep yep and Helps just people. Yeah, I was Go gonna ahead. say, give us give us just a quick reminder, a refresher, basic sure. in terms of motivational interviewing, and what that means. So motivational interviewing is really a counseling style that shifts between guiding, following, and directing, and it sort of undulates um, to help people who are ambivalent make choices, sort of in their own interest and so you most often see this practice used in like substance abuse counseling mm-hmm. and in substance abuse counseling it's really like for years there was sort of this turn or burn model and, and that didn't work out too great so, right um steven Rolnick, bill miller come along and they developed this counseling method in the 80s and then in the 90s it sort of takes off um and it starts making its way into child welfare and stuff substance abuse outside of psychology but really it's this idea that we listen and we try to avoid what's called the writing reflex which really is when we're basically getting people to argue themselves in further into what doing what they want to doing so let's say we're practicing with an alcoholic like it's like let's say they're ambivalent or unsure about stopping drinking like the gut the guttural like sort of reaction of most people 
is to like try and convince people of all the reasons they're wrong. And what research shows is that that just kind of drives them further into drinking. And so we want to avoid that. And so we can use these same practices with kids and adults. My talk really focuses on adults with anxiety and depression um, and autism and how can we use sort of those ambivalent moments to really help people with autism kind of get out of that depressive rut or have an easier time going to sleep or being less anxious by making choices um, that they're a little less am- or and kind of guiding them out of that ambivalence without driving them further into the problem. Wow. Wow. That's, um, that's, I, I love that, that they, that first of all, that you've studied that, that you've got, the study has gone to the point where they figured out maybe this isn't this particular, um, kind of methodology behind it isn't quite working. Mm -hmm. And now you're flipping it around and really making it to help it stick and help it work with people living with autism. That's pretty amazing. It's, it's pretty incredible. And I mean, like it, it compares quite well um, in the research literature. There's not a whole lot on it. That's one of the reasons I'm so keen on doing it, mm-hmm. um, doing the research, doing the talks, is because nobody's doing this, or very few people are doing this. And the people that are, like, they're the behavioral analysts who use the Early Start Denver model, which is another form of applied behavioral analysis, which is sort of one of these models of I'm the expert person with autism is needs rules they need to follow the rules and so it's really interesting because in the research mi in parent coaching actually outperforms um that model of aba in the literature wow okay yeah wow um i i am going to have to follow up and look more into that and see more of what that's about um especially kind of in this parent circles that I run in either online or in real life. Um, you know, you, you came on first very generously with your time and kind of talked Sarah and I through, um, you know, kind of the, I don't know, the fear we had around even addressing the ABA therapy issues that we were kind of working through and like Mm -hmm. kind of de-ABA ourselves. And the first response I hear from parents is like, okay, well, if not ABA, then what? So you're saying that that model was actually showing more effective. Yeah. I mean, in terms of parents, improving the parents' relationship with the kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that ABA necessarily doesn't have a place. Like, I definitely think it's more effective for nonverbal clients. Right. I think it's more effective for PICA, for self-harm and nonverbal clients. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some major research, even... I hate to say it, like I hate to give Lovas credit, but Lovas yeah. did some really good research on educational gains and IQ gains, mm-hmm. which has been cited over 386 times. Like he really, like, like he knew his stuff, like as awful of a person as he was, like yeah. ABA has its place. But in terms of building, like as a therapist, I know you probably, I'm guessing there's some overlap between what you do here on the podcast and what you do in your practice. Am I right? Mm, yeah, absolutely. So, like, when you're working with those parents to how do I work with my kid to, like, have a less contentious relationship, yes. MI is super helpful because it's really about a dance. Like, it's about dancing through sort of, well, what are the resistant things in the relationship? What is 
what does that person with the autism need to be right about? Because when you have autism, there's this tendency to go towards black and white thinking. Mm-hmm. And so gray gets really hard. And actually, gray is really helpful for people with autism because ambivalence makes us more critical thinkers. Hmm. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I am definitely going to follow up on that. Um, I mean, I'm even thinking, you know, what you're talking about. I mean, I work with parents, you know, wherever their kid falls, either on or off the spectrum. And really what's at the heart of a lot of the work that I end up doing with parents is that relationship piece. You know, how are Mm -hmm. they relating to their child? Um, so I need, I definitely need to check that out so that I can have some more information about that. Cause that sounds yeah. pretty interesting. Um, well, if you want the name of the article, I can send it to you after the podcast. Thank you. Bye. I will take it for sure. <laughs> okay. We are really, okay. We're, we're geeking out. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know if this is helpful. <laughs> <laughs> we got to bring the rest of the audience back in. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. tell me, tell me one thing in terms of when I was kind of reading through, um, the advertisement for this symposium it was saying some stuff, um, if I think I'm getting this right, along the lines of therapists or helping other helping professionals, like maybe even, you know, folks in the medical profession, they tend to shy away from working with people with autism. Mm-hmm. What, what is behind that? What, what stops helping professionals from doing that work? You know, I, I hope, I, so I really think it's ABA. And I don't think it's like an intentional thing by them. But what I mean is I think as a result of doing a lot of science over 30, 40 years to justify them getting the autism mandates in almost all the states after the Affordable Care Act, like they've made a name for themselves as the people who work with autism. Mm -hmm. And so when you're a doctor and you've got medical school under your belt and you don't know those skills, I mean, what do you do? You defer to the expert. And so, because they're very much an expert model. And so I think in a lot of ways, one of the unforeseen consequences of this is that um, we have less people willing to feel confident working with autism because of just sort of a fear of not doing justice by clients. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's kind of like Sarah said in that one episode, like, I just wish someone would help my kid. Like, and I think that's sort of how parents feel. I mean, I don't know. Is that how you feel? Uh, yeah, you're kind of nailing it on the head. Because now I'm like, were you in the last doctor's appointment with me with Finn? Um, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Basically, I mean, it, it happens just in everyday interactions with other professionals that don't work for our main children's hospital that's here in Columbus. So, you know, I, I have a fam like, I'll give you an example. I have a family dentist that I've gone to. My mm-hmm. mom has gone to this family dentist. I've gone to the family dentist and my oldest Q has gone to the family dentist. And so that is three generations of people over the last 25, 30 years that have gone to this mm-hmm. one particular dentist's office. And of course we trust them and we love them. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, we think they're fantastic. Unfortunately, I can't take Finn to that dentist office because when I ask one of the dentists who was working that day, like, hey, do you work with kids with autism? You know, Finn is a multimodal communicator. 
So he won't talk mm-hmm. with his voice, but he'll gesture or he'll use a speech device, you know, like, how would you feel about that? And they're really like, eh, you know, like, uh, right. not, not right. so great. And I want them to be honest with me because I don't want to put anybody, especially my child right. in a situation with a helping professional who doesn't think they can deal with um, someone who's autistic. But I mean, it really, it really does narrow down. Like I have to now drive mm-hmm. 45 minutes to take him to a dentist who, who is comfortable working with him. Right. And I'll right. do it. I'll do it. But I'm also white and I also have yeah. resources and I also yeah. have the wherewithal to be able to drive him those 45 minutes. What about our kids who don't? especially kids right. of color who wouldn't have those resources, right. you know, is right. th- they can't go 45 minutes to see the same dentist who would understand what right. an autistic person would experience going to the dentist. So, yeah, I mean, that happens, that happens all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. absolutely. So I should send my dentist to this symposium is what you're telling me. Do it. I am. I mean, so you could send him to the symposium and he would get a ton of knowledge on autism. And I mean, you could send your dentist, you could send your doctor, <laughs> you could send your kid's special ed teacher. Um, there's some OT and speech stuff. Um, so it's really, it's accredited by most of the counseling boards, ASHA, um, OT. I mean, really this symposium is sort of geared towards helping professionals. So yeah, your dentist would be perfect. The other one, um, it's sort of the other program, which I feel like these things go so hand in hand, like am I and the other one is about confidence building and that's through delivered practice. And that's almost what I hear when I hear this story is like, well, you know, my dentist isn't comfortable working with it. And what we find when we, Kayleen and I piloted the project um, that we're launching here in May is that anybody who goes through the coaching with us feels a lot better because what they do is they go through this sort of just two hour like didactic learning experience where we do exercises and we go into things like meaning making, what's CBT, what's black and white thinking, what's alexithymia. Uh, it's, it's pretty surface level. It's a generalist sort of curriculum. Mm-hmm. But then what gets really cool is we go deep and we use this, they get 30 a survey where they get to pick five of 33 categories and then we coach them for half an hour for five weeks. Um, and so if your dentist is feeling not so confident, I'd encourage him to go to the UWO player one. Um, though if he's a dentist, he probably has the money to go to both. So. <laughs> yeah. He makes jokes. Like every time we go in there and yeah. someone has a cavity, he's like, well, you just paid for me to go to Disney. And I'm like, all right, that's oh great. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's very lucky that we like him and that, um, <laughs> We've been there for for multiple generations. Um, So this is the other program you're talking about. It's through the University of Wisconsin-Eclair, and it's also Mm -hmm. continuing education. And I say that because, obviously, if there's any helping professionals listen, you get your continuing ed in. Um, But this this is treating patients with autism spectrum disorder and comorbid psychiatric conditions. So this is, this is where you're offering coaching sessions. That's what I was, that's yeah. where I perked up. Yeah. 
What sounded yeah. interesting? Yeah, I, I, well, because usually when you go for, um, and this is just general information for everybody, usually when you, you know, when you go for continuing education, it's like you go for a day or you'll go for the weekend or, you know, you do a couple of hours over a week or something like that. And so I'm excited that you say here between, it looks like May 24th and June 28th, you're mm-hmm. going to offer these coaching sessions to folks yep. individually so that yep. they have a space to feel comfortable to say like, you know, okay, I'm the special education teacher and I have a kiddo mm-hmm. with autism. I have this particular situation and they can just be like, what do I do? And you guys would coach yeah. them through that. Yeah. I mean, really? So like, so part of the, let's take a step back and then I'll answer it. Is that okay? Yeah, Absolutely. So deliberate practice is kind of based off the research of Bruce Wampold, which basically says from DBT to CBT to ABA to like, regardless of the therapeutic approach, a person's relationship with someone is kind of like the main indicator of whether someone will be successful or not as a result of treatment. And so if we start with this idea that relationship is the key, um, I'm not the expert you are. You are the person that knows you. I'm just here to help you along. Like really my work with these, these, let's say the special educator is like, well, how would you respond to that? And because it's very human first, like, it's very like, this is a person, this isn't an alien. They don't have tentacles growing out of their head. Like it's just, <laughs> like, that's the feeling people get. Like, I know. It's not reality. And it just. Sarah and I, yeah. Sarah and I joke that if, you know, like Finn and Owen had a third eye or an extra arm growing, <laughs> then people would be like, oh yeah, I see he's autistic, you know, and feel Pretty more much. comfortable. It's terrible. Yeah. It's terrible. It is. It is. Okay. But it's totally the reality. For I these know. Folks, I think. It's yeah. A, it's a lack of confidence. It's just like your dumbest. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you get the train. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can get more confident about it. Yeah, I love Sorry, that. I'm really trying to sell you on this dentist. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm like, oh. okay, what's the fee? Maybe I can send them. And it is, <laughs> I mean, it is, it is so true because there, when I find a professional from my dentist, you know, through the nurse who might check us in mm-hmm. for like a test or something. Like when I find someone who responds well to Finn, meaning like treats him like another, any other human being, like talks directly to him, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I always make it a point to tell somebody in charge, you know, like, Hey, you know, Sarah right. checked us in today and, she really she talked to Finn like he was a human being and I've had the other professionals in charge that I tell this to they've always been like you know thank you for letting me know that and I'll make sure to pass that on and I'm and I say if you can take five minutes and have them train the other people on your staff like that would be amazing Mm -hmm. because it would help so Mm -hmm. much help so much right yeah right it's it's so sad because it's like this isn't rocket science, but it kind of is. Like mm-hmm. my my boss always says, "What we do in therapy isn't rocket science; it's much harder." Mm-hmm. And at some level, like I think the hard part about doing therapy or working, being a helping professional, is really like learning where your own bias is and kind of like 
trying to work with that bias. Absolutely. Yourself is in their shoes. Absolutely. For sure. So some of the, um, let me see here. So how, how would you think, like if you're, so let's say like you're trying to sell this, we'll just keep using my poor dentist. (laughs) That's okay. Dentist is great. (laughs) So (laughs) we're selling this to my dentist and you're telling him that he's going to get increased confidence with these, um, with the coaching sessions. Um, what, what might his increased confidence look like? How would he so be I different? Think, so I think, you know, what we know from the research is that if people are more confident in their approach, they get better clinical outcomes. Mm-hmm. So I'd say for your dentist, that's going to be, I'm going to be more comfortable working with kids with autism. I'm, if they're a little like, I, I think like if there's some sensory sensitivities, I think your dentist is just going to have an easier time laughing at himself. Like it's really going to be not to, I think he's going to take himself less seriously and sort of realize like the kid's just as nervous as he is. Like it's okay to just like take time. And obviously we want competent dentists who aren't scared to operate on their teeth. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like your dentist is going to be human enough to say like, Hey, what do I need to do to work with you to be effective? Like you tell me, like I, one of the outcomes I want to see for the people I work with is just that they get better at listening. And because I think they get so caught up with their previous experiences. Um, I love this statement. It's the brain is a, is a what if machine. Uh-huh. I think people get caught up in that when they work with people with autism. And my hope is that by doing this coaching and by being more confident, they'll have less what ifs and it'll be more like, okay, what now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that from what if to what now? Yeah. That's great. Or what's next? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the, yeah. What's next? I like that. So really um, between these two um, sessions that you're talking about, I kind of, yeah, I, well, you've kind of answered for me already. The autism symposium, it asks like who should attend the one in April. It's over a couple of days, April 23rd to 20 or April 22nd to 23rd. And people can sign up for it at, at PESI.com. Correct. Yep. Yep. Um, who, who should attend the PESI one? Um, I think OTs, speech, um, physical therapists, audiologists, um, special educators, mental health therapists, nurse, psychiatric nurses, um, psychiatrists. Really, PESI has a great credentialing board. Um, they work pretty closely with a lot of professional boards, and they're one of the biggest continuing education providers in the world. Um, they have something like 50,000 names in their database. And so they really know what they're doing when it comes to getting those credentials. And so I think if you want to get better at treating people with autism, this is the summit to be at because it's got a lot of the big names. It's got everything from assessment and intervention um, with one of my colleagues, Dr. Rosen, Dr. Sachs to, I mean, we got Temple Grandin. I know. And she talks about, <laughs> it's like, she well, does, I don't know what her stump speech is, but I, I'm imagining it's about, not being different, but able. Um, 
something along those lines. So I think anybody that's in the helping profession, whether you're medical, really like speech, OT, um, nursing, even like there's a lot of benefit if you want to kind of progress forward and really like specialize. This is a great credential to do that with. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm, I'm noticing one of the other folks beside yourself. Um, it looks like Carol Westby, Dr. Carol Westby. Yeah. She is presenting on screen time, learning and communication in the 21st century. Um, yeah. I mean, that's really for anybody. I think, um, yeah. that's one of the bonus things that you get for this. And I mean, screen time, especially as we're dealing, still dealing with the pandemic is huge. So yeah, that's, well, and there's that, <clears throat> that, and there's a, I can't think of the guy's name, but he's an ABA guy, but he's really person centered. And so I think, um, if you're an ABA provider and you're really interested in getting, that sort of person's centered perspective, but still sort of adhering to the ABA science, that's going to be there too. Mm-hmm. can't think of what his name is, though. So. Um, it looks totally like maybe Dr. Me. Jim Ball, child-centered approaches. Yeah, that's him. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. and he, it, he is a BCBA. Yep. Wonderful. So. Okay, so if people want to sign up for that, go to PESI.com. It's coming up April 22nd and 23rd. And you get mm-hmm. to see Sean. And I mean, Temple Grandin is there also, but really, you want to go to see Sean's presentation, of <laughs> course. Come see me, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I'm, oh. I'm only sad for you that it's virtual because, like, you won't be able to, like, be in the same hotel ballroom oh. with her or anything like that. I so. know, right? <laughs> I, I really wanted to walk up to Dr. Porgers and be like, hi, I'm Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I get your autograph kind of thing, but you know, Doctor Porges, he'd probably be weirded out by that. So, but I don't really blame him though. Like if some rando comes up to him, like, do I have your autograph? Like, what? Goes back to that nerding out thing you did earlier. Fantastic. Um, and then for the <laughs> for the uh, coaching sessions, the continuing education for the University of Wisconsin, it looks like people can go to CE dot uwec dot edu and they can find you there um and we'll go ahead and post links in our show notes to this so that everybody can see it um i do want to ask maybe like uh one more question if there aren't some other things you want to cover real quick um just thinking about this kind of on the other side you know so being a caregiver or a parent um or a person Mm -hmm. with autism what are maybe some of the questions you want folks seeking help from providers to ask? Like what would be some of those really important um, questions? This is such a hard question because like just today we found out we've already got like 11 people signed up for CEU on a UWO Claire. And in that same conversation, they were like, there's this guy named blah, blah, blah who can't find any providers who specialize in this kind of thing. And so there's one part of me that's like, well, if someone will treat you, like, that's thing one. Like, but I, I think in terms, and, and so it's really hard to balance that because there's so much, I'm trying to think of the word here. There's so few people, I, I don't know how it is in Columbus, but like even in areas like Chicago and New York and Boston, like it's this way where it's like, 
you can't find people who are willing to treat people with autism. It's just mm-hmm. such an emerging area of practice. And mm-hmm. then, so there's the one piece of just like, hey, but if I were asking people, one of the big things I always ask and I like to know with providers is how are you going to involve my child in consenting to their treatment and how are you going to continue to do that? I like this question because I've known behavioral analysts to not do that. Like they will get the parents permission and it's in their ethics, ironically enough. So I think having, um, having the parent advocate for their kid to ensure that informed consent is not a passive thing, but an active role in treatment because like what kid wants to do a 40 hour work week, you know, at four years old, I, I just, I don't, I don't see what kid wants to do that. Even if you get the IQ and educational games that some of the studies claim. And so I think that's a really important conversation to have as a parent, because, you know, that's going to give you a real good feel for whether the provider like thinks they know it all. And when in reality, they don't, or it's going to give you a definite sense of like, wow, this, like you were saying earlier, like you take the time to compliment to their supervisor. This person really cared about my kid. And so I think informed consent is a really easy way to gauge that. Um, because, you know, not all those ABA folks abide by their ethics and not all social workers abide by our ethics, which require us to get informed consent. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that's a really good question to ask. Um, and that's kind of what I would encourage parents and caregivers to do is seek out how and try to learn, how are you going to involve my kid in treatment and sort of balanced out with like, well, who are the providers who work with this issue? Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of like you and your dentist sort of conversation earlier. Mm-hmm. How are you going to involve my child in their treatment? Yeah. An informed yeah. consent piece for sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm prepared as a professional to answer that question. I love it. I hope more people ask me about it if I'm working with any kiddos anytime soon. Um, and that's a really, that's a really great question. I really love it. Well, what's nice about it is it's sort of like dual focus. Like it's focused on how are you going to do it now when we come up with a plan? And then how are you going to keep doing it? Because it's not just a matter of like, them one time asking their consent or like, okay, it sounds good to be able to brush my teeth with a toothbrush on time in the morning. But like when shit hits the fan, like how's, how's the kid going to be treating that situation? I think it's, it's like one of those things. It's not like consent is not just like granted permanently. I don't know if you've ever watched the consent tea video. No, um, uh-uh. but it's a really great video on oh. teaching kids Yes. Go ahead. Yeah. But yeah, about tea, like if somebody wants a cup of tea. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so like in the video, it talks about if they wanted tea yesterday and that doesn't mean they want tea today. And it's kind of the same thing with consent and treatment is it's like, it's, it's not a static concept. It's something we have to keep obtaining Mm -hmm. over time. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a living, breathing kind of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm hmm. Exactly. Well, I already feel smarter having spoken with you this evening. I really appreciate it. 
Ben. <laughs> um, I, I'm definitely going to tell my dentist about this coaching session that you're offering. <laughs> that poor guy. <laughs> I don't think he'll listen, so it's not. I mean, I don't think he listens to the podcast, so it's not a big deal. Um, but oh, we will, we will <laughs> make sure to post links to both your training sessions. Um, and I mean, I just, I, as a, I want to say, like as a mom of you know my autistic kiddo, like thank you for the work you're doing. Because um, hopefully, it's. I think it's reaching lots of folks and. It's kind of helping to make the helping profession in general a better a better profession to work with my kids. So I appreciate that very much. Uh, well, thanks. I appreciate it. One of the reasons we do it, though, is because the literature really, like, I was just talking to Matthew, Dr. Matthew Lerner from Stony Brook this morning. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he said was just, like, we can't with confidence say that, like, if you just in how do I say this? If you like, we can't just say like person centered approaches are a good idea for people with autism. And it's just like, well, yeah, like you do that with human beings. So why wouldn't it be helpful for them? Like, it's just, so I think this work sort of serves a larger question, which is how do we kind of move the field in a direction where we can be more person centered because I mean, there are instances where it's okay not to be person-centered, but those are few and far between, I would argue, uh-huh. versus all the benefits that come from being person-centered, letting the person be the expert in their life. Um, so, yeah, that's uh-huh. kind of my it's kind of my shtick for tonight. I, so. I, yeah, I completely agree. Um, so, as we're kind of ending here tonight, we have a take no shit only vitamins segment that we do now. Yeah, it's, I love it, this. we added it. It's kind of brand new since the last time you've been on. So what it is basically is we ask folks who join us on the podcast, like what's something good that's going on for you right now? It can be about co- anything completely, anything. Um, what's going on for me? Um, and say, and this is the first time, like, during the pandemic that we really just had a chance to have a getaway for ourselves. It's been so long since just the two of us could just, like, kind of not be really freaked out to get on an airplane because I'm vaccinated. She's got a mask on. And, you know, there's still some risk. But, you know, I can't remember the last time I just was like, yeah. That's crazy. Let's just watch some waves. So for me, this is my good thing in life that I'm thankful for. That and my boys. Aw, wonderful. Yeah. So hanging out with your fiance, seeing the ocean, and doing just just hangout stuff. Pretty much. I mean, nice to have a moment to breathe. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? I can, can hear you. Now? Yeah, I can hear you now. I wonder if you're getting into a place where you're. <laughs> Might be. <laughs> All right. Well, Sean, we're going to let you go. Thank you All again right. so much for being here. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, have me, Tara. All right. Take Bye. care. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Okay. Now you say something. You talk. See, mommy talks. <laughs> Can you say something? Say, ah.
Hello. Say it on your words. Say hello. And what is your name? What is your name? What is your name? You want mommy to hear? Alright, ready? And what is your name? <laughs> Can you tell me what your name is? Your name is Silas. <laughs> What's your name? Mackenzie. Yeah. What's your name? Can you tell us? Headphones. Yeah, mommy has <laughs> headphones on. Headphones. Hey, what's your name? Your name is a guy. <laughs> How about your name is? <laughs> Where's your name? Where's your name? Is that you? That's you. My name is Finn. My name is Finn. Strange. strange. It's strange. All right, we're going to say goodbye to the audience. Say goodbye, audience. Can you say goodbye? Say goodbye. <laughs> say goodbye, audience. <laughs> Tell the audience goodbye. Say goodbye. Mm. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Mm. <laughs> goodbye.